You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. Number five's Carolina. I mean, Carolina now at six and two. That's ridiculous. Uh, moves into my top five That's uh, teams. And you I might want to revisit that. I, yes, I think I should probably revisit that. Uh, once again, Tommy, you're right. You were right. Uh, that was stupid. I didn't. It's like I, I, I should have put the Chargers into the top five. They'll probably lose on Sunday. Um, they're playing the Raiders. They shouldn't lose on Sunday. But good God, was that an embarrassing, an embarrassing top five yesterday. Not only, Aaron, did I put Carolina into the top five, which Tommy, Tommy rightly mocked me for, I thought we were in for a really good game last night. And the way it started, if I'm like... If you were a Pittsburgh fan, it was a really good game. Good. I mean, the way that game started, and I'm sitting there, I do the Channel 4 recording for Redskins Showtime, which you can watch on NBC4 at 1130 on Sundays. Did it with Mike Jones, Clinton Portis, Sherry Burris last night. And Clinton and I are sitting in there watching the first quarter of the game together. And, uh, you know, right before the kickoff, he said, do you, do you have a side? And I said, I didn't play the game, but I like Carolina. Um, and so the way they went right down the field to open up with McCaffrey wide open for yep. that touchdown. And you know what I was thinking? I was thinking, you know, Pittsburgh's going to – this is going to be a high-scoring game. Oh, yeah. You can see that coming now. The over was the right side. But – well, yeah, clearly this morning it was the right side. Uh, but the I, I thought Carolina would be able to continue to score with Pittsburgh. And they didn't. They turned it over. That was a horrific turnover by Cam Newton. And, and no, the, the Panthers are not a top-five team in the NFL. <laughs> not right now. And more likely than not also, even though they get the Saints twice in the final three games, not a threat to win the NFC South. I'm not. One game should never in the NFL, one week should never you know, sort of leave you with a definitive feeling about a team because things change and their circumstances. And this is a Thursday night game on the road. We know about these Thursday night games and the poor performances from teams sometimes, especially teams traveling. I think Carolina is good, but they were lit up last night by Ben Roethlisberger. And it's Pittsburgh, remember the start to their season? Remember the game oh, yeah. against Tampa Bay on a Monday night as an 0-1-1 and team That's in week right. three? And how big of a game that was, and they People won the were game. Saying it could things could get blown up if they lost. And then the following week, they got absolutely blown out by the Ravens. The score not indicative of how one sided that game was. Ever since that game, um, they have gotten it going, uh, especially on offense. Now, last week, not as much on offense, but you know they put up forty one against the Falcons, fifty two against the Panthers uh, during this stretch. And here's the big thing for Pittsburgh: they've beaten their two rivals in their in their division on the road, the Bengals and the Ravens. They still finish with the Bengals at home. Uh, there is a game, and I mentioned this earlier in the week. All of these games sort of looming down the road. You know, Rams, Chiefs. Uh, Eagles, Rams. How about Saints, Steelers on Sunday afternoon, December twenty third? That should be fun. That should be fun. Uh, ben Roethlisberger was incredible, and I'll tell you one of the stories from from last night's game was Eric Reed getting tossed, getting ejected for a hit on Ben Roethlisberger, and all. I mean, Twitter went nuts last night because of Eric Reed's history and him getting back into the league with the anthem protests, etc. 
Um, he got ejected from that game, I thought, unnecessarily. I did not think that that was an ejectable hit. In fact, I didn't think in the moment when it happened that it should have been penalized. After seeing the replay, I guess maybe it deserved a flag. But here's the thing. That play, Roethlisberger is taking that extra few steps into that danger area before he starts to go down. You know, it's almost like, hey, here's the yellow tape. If you cross it, you're now in danger of potentially taking a hit, even if you start to go down. He was trying to get those extra yards on that run, and uh, I I didn't think it was an ejectable hit. And Twitter, of course, with... Everybody saying this was picking on Eric Reed, this was singling out Eric Reed, and then how about this? After the game, Eric Reed um, asked to uh, take, um, uh, got tested after the game for the fifth time. The fifth time he got drug tested since he came back this year. He's only been back even, for a month. I was gonna say I didn't even know he's played five games. Uh, anyway, uh, Carolina is not the fifth best team in the NFL. Yes, I may want to re- revisit that. It's been revisited, and it's been retracted. Uh, lots coming up on the show today. Cooley's going to join me on the show today. Andy, a little bit later on, with a look back at some of the key games against the Buccaneers uh, in history. And hey, the Redskins' last playoff win, their only playoff win of this century, uh, came against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in January of 2006 when Sean Taylor had just an unbelievable football game before getting booted from that game uh, at Tampa Bay. All right, let's get to what I think is a crucial game in this Redskins season, the first game of their second half of the season at Tampa on Sunday. Redskins beat Buccaneers if... All right, the Redskins beat the Bucks. if. I mentioned this earlier in the week, that this is a big game for this football team that a year ago, with fewer players, uh, more players injured, fewer key players available, uh, and not the defense they had this year, or Adrian Peterson that they have this year, against a lesser opponent this year versus the opponent they faced last year, which was Seattle in a similar spot. Uh, they they somehow you know summoned up some fight and went to Seattle, a difficult place to play, and won a game 17 to 14, which to me was the game of the year for the Redskins. Uh, now they had help. I mean, we know in that game uh, the kicker missed a bunch of field goals. Blair Walsh. Uh, the Redskins had breaks throughout the game, but they won a game in which the defense played exceptionally well. Zach Brown stood out in that game. And then late in that game, with literally no weapons to work with, somehow uh, the offense uh, put together a 70-yard drive in 35 seconds to win the game. So the Redskins beat the Bucks if this team steps up in a similar spot uh, and plays uh, at a le- with a level of desperation as if their season's on the line. And it's not on the line. If they lose this game, they're not out of the playoff race. They would still be tied for first uh, in the NFC East, worst case, uh, when this weekend ends. Dallas and Philadelphia Sunday night uh, at the link in Philadelphia. The Eagles can get to 5-4 and four with that game. Um, but I do sort of feel like this is a, a ticking time bomb to a certain degree, that they've got to defuse it. Uh, Sunday in Tampa. They've got to figure out a way to get through this one, to get to six and three, um, to give themselves, you know, a little bit of leeway until they can get healthy. 
Houston coming in, not easy. We don't know what Dallas will look like on Thanksgiving Day. They could be 3-7 and seven and completely out of it. But I want to see the Redskins step up on Sunday and play their best game of the year uh, with the circumstances being perceived to be very dire. Uh, part of that is that Alex Smith needs to step up for the first time this year. He's got to make plays. He's got to lead the offense to points, especially if they are given short fields, which they have not really been able to take advantage of enough this year. And Tampa will create short field opportunities for the opponent. They've thrown 17 interceptions this year. They've got 21 giveaways this year. If you get short fields, you've got to make Tampa pay. Yes, the offensive line is in shambles, and it's a real issue. It's not an excuse. It's a real issue. I'm not ignoring it. It won't be easy to overcome. But this week against Tampa's defense, a defense that has been truly terrible, a defense that allows lots of yards and lots of points every week, they've given up over 43 times this year, over 33 times this year. The offense has turned it over a ton and put its defense in a bind a lot. I will, I will concede that point, but they are still allowing defensively 414 yards per game. The Skins have had one game this year of over 400 yards. That was the opener against that pitiful Arizona team that the Redskins faced in the in the opener. They have had right around 300 yards or less five times this year. This team is the defense. Tampa is. Tampa has the defense you want to face if you've got a ton of injuries along your offensive line. They've got some good players. I'm not saying Pierre, Paul, and, and Gerald McCoy aren't good players, but their defense stinks. Alex Smith has good wheels. His strength was supposed to be the guy that made plays when the plays weren't there. Extended plays, created, and made plays with his legs. He was supposed to be the creator. Hey, when that first and second option aren't there, Alex is going to make a play. He's going to make a play. The, the last guy couldn't make those plays. This guy can make those plays. He's got to make those plays Sunday. This isn't a referendum week on Alex Smith. I'm not saying that. It's not a referendum week on Alex Smith. You can't do that to a guy on Sunday with all of these missing pieces. I understand that. But I will say this. He's got to try to step up and make some plays and lead this offense to more than what they've been able to generate. This is really the last of the easy defensive teams they have on their schedule. They have not been able to take advantage of New Orleans, who didn't have a good defense when they faced them. Atlanta, who does not have a good defense. Tampa does not have a good defense. I know the Redskins are banged up. The offense has to do more. The quarterback's got to do more this week. I'll say this. If Tommy's prediction comes true about 20 points, the Redskins scoring, that's a disaster. you got to score more than 20 on Sunday, unless your defense has the game of the year. I'll get to that in a moment. But I do want to say this. I guarantee you, uh, I guarantee you this. While they will never admit it out in Ashburn, because of what all of us would say about them. There are some in that building that have either already begun to have some buyer's remorse or will soon have it if Alex Smith doesn't start making plays. Making the throws that are actually there and then making some of those extend the play, creative play breaks down, but Alex Smith saves it kind of plays that he's made before. I... I'm a fan of Alex Smith's. 
I don't think that they made this massive mistake in trading for him. I think they looked at this opportunity this year as a chance to get to the postseason, as a chance to have a contending team, maybe not for a Super Bowl, I don't even think they thought that, but a team that could play in January, but they had to have a quarterback. They had some pieces on this team. They couldn't go Colt McCoy or rookie right now. Now maybe we will all look back and say the way to go was to bite the bullet, draft their next quarterback, and have some pain for a few years. Alex Smith can play better. He has played better. He has played better. He needs to play better on Sunday. Redskins beat the Buccaneers if they turn Tampa over, like everyone else has. 21 giveaways, second most in the league, 17 interceptions, 10 from Winston, 7 from Ryan Fitzpatrick, who will start the game on Sunday. The Redskins need, listen carefully, I know they're playing Tampa Bay. They're playing a 3-5 and five team. I'm going to tell you right now that I think the Redskins need to be no worse than plus two Sunday in the turnover margin to win this game. And they can be. Tampa turns it over a lot. Plus two, you've got a really good chance to win the game. Now, if they're turning them over on long bombs and Ryan Fitzpatrick throws it deep, and why wouldn't you? All right, he went to Harvard. He figured it out. He's got Deshaun Jackson, Mike Evans, and O.J. Howard. And he throws it deep. And some of those turnovers may be long bombs that get intercepted deep downfield by D.J. Swearinger and the Redskins start at their own 28-yard line, and maybe you don't turn those into points. But hopefully you get two or three of those that create points. I actually think the defense needs to score. I mean, you've got an offense that really, really struggles to score. Defensively, you got to take this game over. Fitzpatrick is going to put some up for grabs on Sunday. It's what he does. He's a risk taker. He's got weapons that deserve the risk-taking nature of the way he plays. But he's going to put some up for grabs, and you not only have to intercept them, but you've got to get a big return on the interception. Got to take advantage of those opportunities. Can't punt after getting a turnover at Tampa's 40-yard line. That can't happen. That's happened a couple of times this year. You get a turnover in the other team's territory, you've got to make them pay for that. You can't punt three downs later. Redskins beat the Buccaneers if they keep Mike Evans and Deshaun Jackson and O.J. Howard from going nuts. That means a pass rush more than it means coverage. I don't have real confidence in the Redskins' coverage ability. I don't think it's porous. But I don't think it's great either. Um, their, their coverage will come from good pass rush. Uh, so they've got to get that this week against Fitzpatrick. The more pressure you put on him, Fitzpatrick takes even more risks, and that will create more turnover opportunities. wanted to mention this about the Buccaneer wide receivers. First of all, Deshaun Jackson, now he only has 28 catches on the year, and he's missed some time. He's averaging 22.4 yards per reception. 22.4. It's a league best. Evans has 47 catches. He's averaging over 16 yards per reception. And O.J. Howard, who Cooley loved coming out of the draft uh, two years ago now, right, has five touchdowns and as a tight end is averaging over 17 yards per reception. The Redskins right now, this is a stunning statistic among the league's pass reception yardage leaders the Redskins don't have anybody on that list until you get to number 78 
Jordan Reed's 340 yards of pass reception yardage is 78th in the league. 78th in the league. It's not good enough. Jordan Reed's got to be a part of this thing. I think he does. Maybe he's not right. Maybe he's frustrated. I don't think we've seen Jordan Reed at his you know route running best. But I also think there's probably some frustration that he's been open a bunch and hasn't gotten the ball. The Redskins will beat the Buccaneers if Jay Gruden manages this game well. Uh, This is, to me, uh, a Redskins win in a close game. The Redskins aren't going to win this game going away. That's my feeling. I could be completely wrong. I think if the Redskins win this game, it's a tight game, which means if it's a tight game, it comes down to a lot of times what the coaches do with timeouts, with score management, with game management, with clock management. Jay Gruden hasn't been great at that. Uh, And I've said this the last few years, that Jay Gruden's going to cost you a game a year with his inability to manage the clock, uh, to manage a game. And we haven't had that game yet this year. Uh, Let's hope it doesn't come Sunday. Let's hope that we don't get a situation where... I don't know. The Redskins are down uh, 17-16, score with four minutes to go, and he doesn't go for two, and they're up 23-17, and they lose by two. I'm serious. It's the kind of mistake that, to me, is within his grasp of making. He's got to manage this game well. He's got to be sharp. And, by the way, that also includes adjusting and managing to what's going on on the field. He's got to create opportunities for his quarterback and his offense to succeed. He hasn't done that well. They haven't executed well, but I don't think they've done that at times well either. I'll point back to the Indianapolis game, first half, soft zone coverage. They're running fancy stuff and lots of motion and trying to run the football and having little success and the opportunities to throw 7- to 10-yard hitches Uh, and underneath stuff was there all day long to move the chains and get in range of scoring points. Who knows what they they would have done in the red zone, but there were many more opportunities, especially in the first half of that game. You've got to understand what the team's doing and adjust to it. Big day for Jay Gruden. All right, let's bring in Chris Cooley and talk about Sunday's game. How are you this morning, pal? I'm doing good, pal. We just got into a little bit of an argument there, which we probably just should have recorded and we could have uh, run with it. Um, uh, because Chris Chris has a, a bad cell phone most of the time. I, I don't know why that is, but I would, I would say that no less than 50% of the time that we have a conversation and you are on your cell phone, it ends with, I've got to leave because I can't hear anything you're saying. Would you agree with that, that percentage? I think that you're absolutely right, and I just want to apologize again and again <laughs> for being a bad friend by having a bad cell phone. Uh, what is it? So with I'm you? sorry. What is it with your cell phone? You're, and, and, you're right. I'm wrong. Your cell phones are the best. Mine are the worst. You have good connections. I have bad connections. Can we just do whatever you want to do? Yeah. Uh, well, the other thing I was going to ask you. want to talk you, about broccoli some more? The other thing that I was going to ask you is why don't you have voicemail? You just got rid of your, your voicemail? Or you haven't set it up? Is this a new phone? Because you lost a phone recently. You don't have. You that's can't a, leave a voicemail no, a, message for you. I know. That's a great. That's a great question. I don't like checking voicemail messages, so I just don't have voicemail. Brilliant. I think I'm going to do that too. 
if you want to get a hold of me, I feel like you'll just shoot me a text. I well, I do, and occasionally and you'll actually you. respond. Occasionally you respond. That's funny that you say that, but I always respond to you. All right, uh, let's talk some football. Uh, what are you as the Redskins enter the second half of the season? What are you optimistic about, and what are you pessimistic about? I'm optimistic that they're a good enough team to make the playoffs. I'm pessimistic that they're not a, they're not a good enough team to do anything with making the playoffs. Uh, that should to be- sum it up very briefly. Those are the things I'm optimistic and pessimistic about. We can delve into those, but that's that's the summary. I think that's perfectly said. I think probably a lot of people would agree with you. Now, on your optimistic point, even with the injuries, you are still optimistic that this, that this team can make the playoffs. I am, because I think this defense is going to continue to get better, going to continue to grow together, and they may have two or three more letdown games which will result in two or three more losses because they can't play in a shootout with anybody. But I do think the defense will have some very good games as well as the season progresses. It seems like matchups are a problem for them when they match up with speed and good quarterbacks. They get rid of the ball. But when teams want to try to be a little bit more physical or want to be cute with the run game, they, they play very well. So I like the matchup against the Eagles. I like the matchup against the Cowboys, obviously against the Giants. I think they have favorable matchups in the in the future as far as the eight games. Now the offense, the injuries are certainly a problem, but I don't see this offense being dynamic and different in terms of not being able to score 17 points a game or not being able to score 20 points a game because that's not they're not scoring more than that. And so I think Jay finds a way to score, you know, three times or four times a game. And in that in that instance, I think they win at least four games down the stretch. And, Kevin, I think if you end up splitting with the Eagles, unless they get red, red hot, four and four will get you in. Probably as a division winner. Uh, an earlier point in this conversation um, being proven out as the conversation continues with Chris Cooley here on the Kevin Sheehan Show podcast. Uh, How is it right now? (laughs) Say again? You're you're kidding, aren't you? No, now now it's good. It's perfect there. You just sort of... I'm going to... I dropped my daughter off at school this morning. Yeah. I just put the car in park in a parking lot to talk to you. All right. Uh, The pessimistic part, it sounds to me like part of the reason that you don't think they could do anything when they get there is a 9-7 and team. If they were to to go 4-4 and win the division in the second half of the season is because they obviously can't keep up offensively with some of the teams in the NFC, right? Well, they're, they're not even close to keeping up offensively with some of the teams in the NFC at this point. And I would feel better if our defense had played great against two of the better offenses, but they didn't. And so I don't feel good about them keeping up. And it's not to say that I don't believe that they could win a game. Anybody can win a game in the playoffs. I just don't. You know, you and I have done this so many times. Uh, there's an end goal that people see as a reward, which would be one playoff win. Most Redskins fans would say that's amazing. And I think it would be good for this organization to have a playoff win. But to me, it's a little different. I would like them to have a chance to win the Super Bowl. Just have a chance. Just be able to believe that they have a legit shot to win the Super Bowl. I'm just not there yet. 
on this team. I do believe in this team in the future. I think there's some talent, but I'm, I'm not 100% there that there's Super Bowl. That would be the pessimism again. What's wrong with this offense? That's that's a very good question. It's an offense that hasn't necessarily failed. Alex has not got into rhythm with his group of receivers, which are not dynamically fast, which do not separate in in a way to give him true weathering. They do not get big chunk plays down the field, which is so hard in the NFL. If you're an offense that can't get big plays, then you cannot afford to have any third and eight pluses. And they don't convert on a third and eight, third and ten, because those are actually big plays for this offense, 10, 15-yard game. And so I think they get behind the sticks a little bit too much, and they don't have the real big play capability, and so you don't have the immediate scores that you'd like. It's, it's something it's all right for a team that struggles to move the chains if they have if it, for example, the Giants, they have that big play capability. They'll kill themselves on a lot of drives, but they do have the ability to win deep, win over the top every once in a while. And that's where they're starting to. We have to make drive, a drive with seven, eight, ten, twelve plays. And it's just hard to do in the NFL. It's hard to do when you don't have dynamic talent on the outside. And it's going to be hard to do when you can't protect the quarterback the same in third-down situations in the future because you're just not going to be able to. You can credit all these guys as much as you want. It's not going to be the same. So I think the problem is, one, lack of dynamic playmaking ability. Two, lack of big play ability, which comes from number one. And then obviously three is is, time, rhythm, quarterback scene, having a feel on third downs. They've struggled with that. So if they can't run, they're, they're, they're doomed. I said in my segment that we used to do together on our radio show, Redskins Beat Buccaneers If, that one of the things we thought we were getting with Alex Smith was a guy that would make plays, that when the first couple of things weren't there, he would create, he would extend, he would make plays. We haven't seen enough of that. I think it's crucial now with an offensive line that is brand new for all intents and purposes this week. Uh, It won't be as brand new next week or the week after. But I think Sunday it's really crucial that he, you know, especially if they get some of these short field opportunities, Chris, that Tampa has given almost every other team that they've played, that he's going to have to step up this week and make some plays and put it on himself a little bit to make some plays with his legs. Do you agree or disagree? I would 100% agree. I thought there would be at least 10 more of those big scramble plays where he gets out of the pocket and he's making throws downfield, like he did last week to Richardson, off schedule, right. where he gets out of the pocket and evades two and has a big run down the sideline. Didn't think he'd get his head taken off, but those are the types of plays I thought I'd see more of. But I will be interested in what Jay does with Alex this week because the West Coast was designed for exactly the predicament that the Redskins are in, in terms of their offensive line. The West Coast was designed to create uh, the easy cross-the-board reads that the quarterback can get the ball out of his hand right now. We haven't seen a lot of quick games. We haven't really seen West Coast. And so, you know, maybe we'll get it this week. And and if we don't, I'm sitting here wondering if, I can't say that Alex can operate in it because i got to believe that he can, but I just don't understand why he wouldn't get that. In that, that case, though, you might see him three-step, quick game, 
balls either out or he's making some of those plays downfield. We'll find out. Doc told me the other day that he thinks that Jay needs to basically put the RG3 offense in. I mean, there's not a lot of zone read, but there's as much RPO. If you if you wanted to collect RPO zone read option, some of those triple option looks, that's the same amount of non-normal NFL plays that RP, RG3 ran. That's true. I agree with that. Defenses have just adjusted to some of this stuff more. Yeah, not not enough though. When you've got people that can really run it, um, I. All right, so let's get to Sunday and and then get you out here um, on on this. The, the your your keys to beating Tampa. You've looked at some Tampa film. You know what they have. You know what the. You know, I, I guess the, it's a big guess as to what this revamped offensive line is going to be. But your keys to beating the Bucks on Sunday. You got to turn them over. They lead the league in picks. Jameis has ten, which is why he's not playing right now. I we I wish Jameis was playing, but Fitzpatrick will turn it over as well. He'll try to force balls in. Hit balls will sail on him. And you got to make plays when Fitzpatrick gives you opportunities to make plays. They're going to get a couple big plays. Mike Evans and Deshaun Jackson scare people to death. They're a good receiving duo, so they're going to make plays. But we have to make plays on defense. We also have to put pressure this week on Fitzpatrick. I don't see Tampa as a team that's going to be able to run it against us. And so you get them in some of those longer situations and you make some plays. That would be a massive key on defense. I could absolutely see three turnovers in this game. I wouldn't be surprised in any way, shape, or form. And then offensively, this offensive line's got to be able to limit interior pressure. You know, Tampa will get a good interior rush. They have a couple guys on that defensive line that, that you know, that I know, that can get after the quarterback. they got to find ways to get Alex some time to get the ball out. And I think ultimately on offense, they're going to go back to try to rely on the run game. And love to see AP have another big game, some quick game stuff. I think it's, I think obviously Tampa's beatable. They're not, they're not a great football team. I think what scares everyone is their speed matchup with wide receiver. The ultimately, though, the difference is they don't protect the quarterback the way the Saints do or the way Atlanta does. And so I think we'll be okay there. I'm not 100% sold on the fact we're going to win. I think I was scared when I saw Tampa minus 160. It's crazy. But this team gets after it on defense, gives off offense some opportunities. Should be okay. All right, thanks for doing this. Appreciate it. I'll talk to you over the weekend. See you, Kevin. Thanks to Chris Cooley. Let's get to some Friday football quick picks. Everything you need to know for your football weekend. It's Friday football quick picks. All right, smell test a little bit later on if you want it uh, after the last three weeks. Uh, The games of the weekend. Uh, Tomorrow, you know, I I guess tomorrow you would say you'd point to the games that actually have some playoff implications. This is not a weekend like last weekend where not only was the Saturday incredible, but Sunday had all of those matchups as well, you know, with the Saints and the Rams and the Packers and the Pats and, of course, LSU-Bama, which we were looking forward to going into the weekend last weekend, uh, didn't really pan out Pan out as a great game. Here are a couple of games to focus on. Ohio State's at Michigan State. I actually think the Buckeyes could lose this game. They're a short favorite, three-and-a-half-point favorite. Michigan State's got a very good defense. Uh, they they struggle on offense at times, and they've you know gone back and forth at the quarterback spot. Um, but this is a Michigan State team that – 
is really good against the Buckeyes as an underdog. I think they're five and two over their last seven against the Buckeyes as an underdog, uh, and I think they've won three of those games outright. I like Michigan State's chances tomorrow to beat Ohio State, and if they do that, Ohio State's out. Uh, that would do it for Ohio State. It also wouldn't help Michigan as much because I think what everybody in the Big Ten wants is a Michigan-Ohio State game in Columbus in a couple of weeks that essentially has, you know, it's a, it, it acts as a playoff elimination game. For Michigan, it would be very much almost a play-in game because they'll be a heavy favorite in the Big Ten title game if they were to get there. Uh, regardless of who it is, Iowa, Northwestern, it doesn't matter. Uh, so uh, it, that would be nice for the Big Ten, for Ohio State to continue to win, Michigan to continue to win, and that showdown in Columbus to be an elimination game. But it may not be if Ohio State goes to Michigan State uh, tomorrow and loses. Here are two games just to keep an eye on. All right, uh, Scott and I had this conversation last week, I think about LSU and Alabama after they play each other. The game over the years has been such a physically demanding game that their games that follow aren't overly impressive for them. And in fact, I think against the number, if you go against Bama and LSU this week uh, with the teams they're playing, you are, over the last several years, you're somewhere in like the 70 to 75% range, I believe, um, that is a guess. I didn't look that up before the show. I could have. I just didn't. But the, the overarching theme here is that I know Bama last year didn't cover against Mississippi State in this exact same spot. And then they went on and lost at Auburn as well. It, it was a couple of weeks where Alabama was really completely worn out after they beat LSU last year. Uh, and that game was a little bit more competitive than the game last Saturday night. Mississippi State is only a 23-and-a-half-point underdog at Bama. I would have thought it would have been 27-28. I mean, look, if Bama had played LSU last week at home, they would have been about a 19- or 20-point favorite over the Tigers. They were 14 at LSU, so it would have been 17 on a neutral field, 20 in Tuscaloosa. And they're 23-and-a-half against Mississippi State, who LSU had crushed the week before. I think I think Mississippi State... I think Bama has the closest game they've had all year long tomorrow. I'll look silly again if it doesn't happen. Uh, the Bedlam game is in Norman, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. Uh, Oklahoma has to win it to keep their title hopes alive. Uh, Georgia's home against Auburn. That's interesting. You know, Auburn started to play a little bit better here recently. Georgia's a 14-point spot. And Boston College in Clemson, BC's a tough team a well-coached team man it just seems like forever since Clemson's been tested I guess it was the Syracuse game that they had a legitimate chance to lose when Trevor Lawrence left the game even though they were behind when Trevor Lawrence was in the game so those are some of the games this weekend to keep an eye on in college uh, on Sunday there's not a marquee game Sunday. I mean, Dallas at Philadelphia in the Sunday night game is not a marquee, you know, must-watch game with the way Dallas has played. You know, from an NFC East perspective, we all want to see what Philadelphia looks like. Um, you know, it's interesting. You know, Philadelphia is one of those teams, okay, they're 4-4, four and, four, uh, and they got the big win in London over Jacksonville. It was a very losable game. Uh, the turnovers were the only reason they've had a real offensive output this year, and that was in the Giant game when the Giants turned it over a bunch. I mean, here are the Philadelphia Eagles, even with Carson Wentz, 
that have gone over 30 points in this unbelievably explosive offensive NFL season. They've gone over 30 one time. And they were getting, you know, they, they were shutting out Carolina, but it was 21 nothing. You know, it wasn't 35-7. With all the points New Orleans and the Rams and the Steelers and the Chiefs are scoring, Philadelphia does not look like they're anywhere near that class of football team. Uh, so I, I want to see them Sunday night after the rest, after their bye week, after the win that got them back to 500, which they desperately needed after they blew that big lead against Carolina. Obviously, Dallas and Philly, very interesting from a Redskins perspective. Uh, I am a little bit interested to see if the Titans can follow up their Monday night performance with something good at home against the Patriots. Uh, Not overly optimistic about that. And also to see what the Saints do at Cincinnati after that big win last week, if there's a little bit of a letdown there at a Cincinnati team that will likely be without A.J. Green on Sunday. Not a great card. Those are really the games to keep an eye on. Uh, Upset alert this weekend. I would say Ohio State's on upset alert. Um, And I would think that, you know, a couple of those teams that I just mentioned, the Saints and the Patriots in particular, maybe they're on upset alert. Maybe Atlanta is. Maybe the Browns are going to be in the smell test again. It's very possible. More on that coming up. Uh, That's your, you know, those are the picks of sort of the games to keep an eye on and a couple of the teams that may be on upset alert. And I will have much more on those teams in the smell test a little bit later on. Uh, Do you hear that noise? It's your furnace kicking on and off again, over and over again. Why? Because your windows are old and drafty and they're letting cold air in and hot air out, keeping you up at night. And every time you hear that noise, it's higher energy bills, wasted money. I think it's time you pick up the phone and call Window Nation. I've done it twice over the last 10 years. Harley and Aaron from Window Nation have provided windows for me and lots of our listeners over the years. For a limited time right now, get two free windows for every two you buy. Buy four, get four free. Buy six, get six free. There's no limit. Plus, 0% financing for five full years. Save that well-earned money to splurge on your family, friends, or even yourself this holiday season. Act fast as there's still time to have your windows installed by the holidays. You'll stay toasty as Window Nation's expert installers work room by room to install your new windows. Window Nation has saved customers an estimated $40 million in energy over the years. Save today, save tomorrow, save forever. Call Window Nation today at 866-90-NATION. You'll get two free windows for every two you buy. Buy four, get four free, no limit, plus 0% interest for five full years. Save thousands on your windows and your energy bills. Use for your holiday she- uh, season uh, of shopping. Just call 866-90-NATION today or visit windownation.com and tell them I told you to call. Took a little bit of time this week to get to this, but I didn't want to forget it. How about the coaching blunders for the week? Bad play calls, clock management gaffes, missed opportunities. It's Coach Sheehan's Blunders of the Week. All right, I for whatever reason, we just didn't get to it this week, but I didn't want to forget to mention two major errors from a game that I had in the smell test last week. Um, it was painful. The Denver-Houston game, which most of you didn't see because everybody well, everybody that late afternoon on Sunday was watching Rams at Saints. 
Um, I had Denver laying a point in the smell test over Houston at home. Uh, McManus m- missed a field goal, a makeable field goal in Denver, 51 yards out at the gun uh, to win to win the game by a point. I would have pushed on that. But there were two major gaffes by Vance Joseph, uh, the Denver coach who really, really struggles with the whole management of a game. Uh, and I, I would just say I can't imagine that he's coming back next year. I would think he and Jason Garrett and we got three or four others um, are, are in big trouble. Uh, Denver's three and six now. Case Keenum, that didn't exactly work out. But here are the two gaffes. Let's start at the end of the half. It's a competitive football game. It's Houston leading 13-10, to 10, and Denver's trying to get into field goal range at the end of the half. And on a third and nine at the Houston 44-yard line uh, with about 25 seconds left, Case Keenum drops back to throw and throws incomplete. The clock stops at 18 seconds. You're at the Houston 44 with 18 seconds in a 13-10 game in the first half. Look, if you've got Drew Brees... You got Phillip Rivers, you got Tom Brady, you got Aaron Rodgers. Okay, uh, maybe you keep the offense on the field and you, you try to make a big play where you're going to burn some clock in the process of trying to pick up that fourth down to get into better field goal range. Uh, but really, the play here in most cases in a 13-10 game where Case Keenum's your quarterback and your field goal kicker would be kicking a 62-yard field goal. I know it's in Denver but a 62-yard field goal from a kicker who's not that great to begin with, the play is to punt it, ladies and gentlemen. Punt it. Go into half up 13-10. to 10. Because if you miss that 62-yard field goal, there is time with Houston having the ball at midfield, actually in your territory at that point, to throw one completion and kick a field goal. Vance Joseph brought... Brandon McManus out onto the field. He missed the 62-yard field goal. Houston took over at the Denver 48-yard line. Uh, Deshaun Watson promptly threw a pass uh, for 13 yards out of bounds. Um, and then another a quick one. They, they had time to run two offensive plays all right, to get to the Denver uh, 28-yard line where they came on and kicked a field goal to take a 16-10 halftime lead. Major, major game management mistake by Vance Joseph at the end of the first half. So that cost Denver uh, three points. And then at the end of the football game, I don't know if you've seen what happened at the end of the Denver game, but Denver's down 19-17. They get the ball back. They're on the move. Um, They've got a a first and 10 at the Houston 37-yard line with 43 seconds to go. They still have a timeout left also. Do you know how many plays they ran from the Houston 37-yard line with 43 seconds to go before they trotted McManus out for a 51-yard field goal? Two offensive snaps. Case Keenum threw a pass over the middle for five yards. Then they just let the clock run, and they ran the ball for a one-yard loss to the middle of the field to set up for a 51-yard field goal. I'm sorry, but you guys can do the math. With 43 seconds to go in a game, first and 10 at the Houston 37, you're down two. You've got plenty of time to get into chip shot range for McManus. Now, if Vance Joseph says, you know, I had my left tackle uh, out there injured, my center was hurt, uh, my receivers were hurt, my quarterback uh, was having an asthma attack, 
and I just needed to get the field goal team out there. Okay, fine. But I don't think that that was the case. They just ran two plays in 43 seconds. You can run six plays in 43 seconds if you're smart. Could have had that ball to the 15-yard line or the 20-yard line or the 25-yard line for a short field goal. He came on for a 51-yard field goal. Not that it wasn't makeable. 51-yard field goal is very makeable, especially in Denver. Especially in Denver. Uh, But he missed it. And he missed it because it was just too far out, I guess. Didn't miss it distance-wise. I think he would have had a better chance, don't you? Uh, If they had got into better field goal range. Vance Joseph, coaching blunders of the week. Two of them in the same game. Let's, Let's get to the smell test. Kevin looks where the John Q public is putting their cash and does the opposite. It's It's time time for the the smell test. test. All right, last Sunday was the worst NFL Sunday I have ever had uh, since introducing this smell test segment 13 years ago, 12 or 13 years ago. I've had 12 seasons, eight winning seasons, four losing seasons. I was 0-5 last week. I added a game late Sunday. I added the Rams uh, in sort of chase mode. You guys who have bet understand what chase mode is. Um, it was the it was the worst Sunday I've ever had, and it was also, as it was reported very heavily early in the week, it was one of the worst Sundays legal sports books have ever had as well. And I will also tell you, it was one of the worst Sundays illegal sports bet books have ever had. I've heard that a few times this week. I had the Browns in the smell test. I talked to my offshore guys, Aaron, I was telling you that earlier yesterday, had a long conversation with a couple of those guys. They told me that Kansas City minus the eight last week was the biggest public play of the year. One of my guys said it was one of the biggest public plays he could remember, and I asked him, why didn't the number go up? Why didn't it get adjusted for all of that public you know, betting on on the Chiefs laying that number actually came down at one point yes, early in the weekend to seven and a half, and he just said that nobody minded the exposure. They, they they knew they were exposed, but they thought they had a good side in Cleveland. Um, I wish I had done one thing, um, and I mentioned Monday during the podcast that Dallas needed to win Monday night or their season could unravel, but I didn't like the game at all. So th- these guys mentioned to me yesterday that that what didn't get reported um, was that Tennessee winning the game Monday night outright was huge for them. This guy said that that, that so many people, uh, the public, so many people as Dallas needed this game. They were home. They were a favorite. There was a lot of money line action on Dallas. Um, a lot of people had Dallas in you know sort of extended parlays from Sunday, where the first game or the first two games hit in a three to one in a three team parlay that pays six to one. Uh, and so they, the Tennessee Tennessee winning that game outright was really big for the sports books on Monday night. Um, so it sort of reduced the big hit of the weekend. But they he told me he said, look, he goes, I know how you play. And you've probably lost three weeks in a row. And I said, I have lost three weeks in a row. And it's been because of the NFL. And he said, the public's won three straight weeks on the NFL. He said, we've taken a a beating the last three weeks. Usually when you hear that, like I get fired up because I think it's about to turn. Because it will. 
I don't know if it'll be this weekend, but it will turn. Now, overall, last week I was five and three on Saturday, zero and five on Sunday, so five and eight overall. Also, my Saturday, I I had Purdue on the Friday line laying two and a half. They won that game by two. The game went off at one, one and a half. So most of you that played Purdue, based on the smell test uh, suggestion, won that game. But I was five and three. I used the Friday lines. Use the Friday lines from Scores and Odds. Although Scores and Odds, um, I don't know what's going on. I, their website is either down. I've got the app, so I'm still using that for the Friday lines. But uh, I don't know what's going on with their website. There are a lot of other things uh, you can use for lines. Uh, I use covers. Uh, you guys ask me all the time, what are the best sites? There, there's so many of them. Covers is a good site. Uh, scores and Odds is a good site. You can use all, I mean, all of the normal sports sites now all have the point spreads. I mean, ESPN. ESPN yeah. has it, yeah. So you can find them there. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's get to uh, Saturday. My record now, by the way, for the season after the last three weeks of, of giving some of this back uh, is 54-52-3. So not great. You know, with the juice, you're losing a little bit right now. So we got to make a run here. Um, all right, let's start with tomorrow. Michigan State's plus three and a half at home against Ohio State. It's a short number. The public is in on Ohio State this weekend, and I think Michigan State's playing well, especially on defense. And I just think, as I mentioned earlier, there's something wrong with the Buckeyes right now. I'm not a big Dwayne Haskins fan at this point. I think he's got great talent. He's obviously got great size, a big arm. Uh, I think he needs another year or two of college football. And look, for Ohio State to have a guy that can actually throw the ball down the field, that's great. I just don't I don't watch them and I don't I know that look, their skill position speed is ridiculous. And once they get the ball and they stretch people out sideline to sideline, they're really difficult. They can kill you vertically, they can kill you horizontally. Um, offensively, I don't think they're that great defensively. I just like Michigan State. This is a big public play tomorrow. Give me Michigan State plus the three and a half. How about this one, Aaron? How is Iowa laying 11 against Northwestern? Little weird. A lot weird. That line is way too high. I, that that should be a single digit line uh, in in that game. And I'll tell you why I, I, I'm going to give out Iowa because it's a, a massive anti-public play um, for starters. But I think what happens in some of these games is that a lot of the guys, a lot of the guys that will, you know, really set the lines, trying to create what they believe to be the correct line. And a lot of people, you know, sort of have a misconception that sometimes they're trying to create equal action. They'd like to have equal action and take a 10% profit or you know, a minus 108 profit on on everything, wherever it comes in. Uh, And the average is probably higher than minus 110 with a lot of the half points being bought, et cetera. Um, But, you know, Northwestern right now um, is a team that, you know, only was getting 10 against Notre Dame last week. I know it was at home, but Notre Dame's undefeated. And they were catching 10, and it was actually 9.5 in spots. And they're going to get 11 at Iowa? Give me the Hawkeyes. Lay the 11. I think it's a – what I was going to say is I think it's a line of scrimmage difference. I think – I've seen Iowa a couple of times, and when they've dominated, it's been at the line of scrimmage where they've been very difficult to block or they've been very difficult to penetrate. Northwestern's got some good skill players. I think there's a recognition of a massive line of scrimmage difference in this game. I'll take Iowa laying the 11. 
Tennessee isn't very good. <laughs> They're really not, but they've played better recently. But last week against Charlotte, they had a non-con game against Charlotte. They won 14-3 against Charlotte. Kentucky's off that loss to Georgia. They're still ranked 11th in the country. I'm surprised they are only a five-and-a-half point favorite over Tennessee. I meant to check that line uh, a little while ago to see if it had moved. Um, and I'm going to check it right now. Uh, yeah, still five-and-a-half. Um, it's a short number. Seems like it should be more. The public thinks it should be more, so they're playing Kentucky. I'll take Tennessee. Uh, I like the Vols plus the five and a half. Oklahoma in a rivalry game. Uh, Aaron, do you know what this point spread is? Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Bedlam? I don't know it off the top of my what head. What do you think it should be? Oklahoma State can score. Yeah. And yeah, they got beat last week. I had Baylor in the smell test, and Baylor won the game outright against Oklahoma Somewhere State. Somewhere around a touchdown, probably. Touchdown? Yeah. yeah. How about three touchdowns? Oklahoma's laying 20 and a half right now in a rivalry game at home. It's at home against Oklahoma State. Now, here's the problem with this game. Um, I'm, I'm going to give out Oklahoma. The number's too high. The public believes it's way too high, and they're playing Oklahoma State in a big way. There is sharp money on Oklahoma, actually, which which also is a reason it's in the smell test. But here's what worries me about this game is I, I don't think Oklahoma can stop anybody. Like, they just give up points. I mean, Texas scored a bunch of points against them. Last week, they were in a shootout against Texas Tech. I think the score went 51-46. You know, so if Oklahoma State can score 35, 40 points, yeah, it's going to be hard to win by 21. That's that's a really weird line. Now, Oklahoma State can't stop anybody either. So who knows? It could be a 63-42 game, and they cover, right, by 20 and a half. It's 20 and a half right now. That's the number uh, on scores and odds. Give me Oklahoma laying the 21. Uh, I've had Pitt a couple of times this year. I'm now against Pitt this week. They're laying three at home against Virginia Tech. Pitt's covered four games in a row, and they beat Virginia outright last week, 23-13. Meantime, the Hokies have lost two games in a row, haven't covered in their last four. The public likes Pitt laying a perceived short number against what is really a down Virginia Tech team this year. I'll take the Hokies plus the three. Uh, and then in something I talked about earlier, it actually fits also with the smell test. LSU and Bama played last week. Blowout for Bama. They were a 14-point favorite. Uh, we I talked about what these teams typically are in the few weeks after they play each other. Um, it's hard to get up for some of those games. They're also very physically sort of worn and torn. Um, I, I mentioned that they should be a bigger favorite against Mississippi State. It's sitting there at 23.5 right now. Uh, that just seems short, and the public, I don't think you can make a number right now big enough to get the public off Alabama. That's why I'm surprised it's not at least 24-25. Uh, Mississippi State is awesome on defense. I mean, they are relentlessly athletic and physical on defense. Uh, I will tell you this, though. Their quarterback can't throw it. Fitzgerald can't throw the football. And if you are one-dimensional against Bama, ouch. But still, um, the theory uh, of Bama and LSU the weeks after they play each other, I'll take Mississippi State plus the 23-and-a-half. Uh, for the same reason, I'll take Arkansas plus the 13-and-a-half at home against LSU on Saturday night. The Hogs are terrible. The public thinks minus 13 and a half is a steal, so I'll take the dog there. Washington State's laying just six at Colorado. Mm. 
think that's a bit short. Give me the buffs at home plus the six. Uh, those are the college plays. I'd lean Temple plus five at Houston, but not an official pick. Let's get to Sunday. A few leans to start, all right? Not uh, official smell test picks, but I will just tell you the public's heavily on Chicago, the Chargers, maybe even Jacksonville. I'm starting to like the Colts a little bit as a team. Uh, so Detroit, the Raiders, and the Colts are leans, not official plays. Also, I will tell you that right now, according to the information I got late yesterday, and it's early, a lot of action on Tampa Bay. A lot of action on Tampa with the injuries to the Redskins and the way the Redskins looked last week. So the Redskins are a bit of a lean as well, plus the three. None of those are official. Let me get to the official Sunday plays. Um, guess who right now is the biggest anti-public play of the day on Sunday? Yes, it's the Cleveland Browns again. They're getting six right now against Atlanta. I actually looked at this line initially and thought, it's a little bit high. Like I, I was like, I didn't think I was going to have Cleveland in the smell test this week. But the public is lined up on Atlanta, thinking that Atlanta is as explosive as New Orleans and the Rams and the Chiefs. Atlanta's back and Greg Williams is in charge. Yeah, and they're that's a good point too. Forgot about that angle. Um, and I, I, I got to stick with what I know. And what I know is that the House will need Cleveland on Sunday plus the six. They will. There's no way they're going to get out of this. They're going to need – the decision they'll need is Cleveland plus the six. That line is still inching up. You might be able to – who knows? Maybe it'll get to seven by Sunday. Give me Cleveland. Uh, I just – it's painful. I, I, I mean, I can. Last week, really, they never had a chance against Kansas City. I, I, you saw the way Kansas City moved the ball up and down the field, and I knew there really wasn't a chance. Uh, but they're going to need the Browns for their lungs on Sunday. So I will back Cleveland as well. I like the Titans a little bit on Sunday. New England's a massive public play, laying six and a half right now. Boy, I wish that were at seven, but I'm playing, you know, the, the straight. I'll buy it myself, uh, of course, to seven. Now, it's the Monday night short week syndrome. And Tennessee, man, they're a team that you can just look at and know that they're, they're ripe for a letdown. But they're also capable in any given week of, of playing tough football. We saw what New England, New England should not have covered against Buffalo, a good defensive team two weeks ago. Um, and they did, you know, with that late pick six. Uh, but I like Tennessee. I don't love it, but it fits the smell test criteria this week. So give me the Titans plus the six and a half. Buy it to seven. Um, one more. Uh, right now, um, there is a lot of action on Philadelphia Sunday night. A lot of action laying seven against the Cowboys. I'll take the Cowboys plus the seven. I, I, I don't. Something's different about Dallas right now in terms of the possibility of finally them making a change at head coach. I think it'll happen in this offseason if they don't turn their season around. I think you see one really good effort from them on Sunday night. Maybe they lose an overtime game. Maybe they lose on a walk-off field goal. Uh, but I like them plus, plus the seven. It's very rare where you'll have Dallas as sort of an anti-public play but they are Sunday night against the Eagles, so give me the Cowboys plus 
the seven. All right, let's recap uh, all of the smell test selections for the weekend. Uh, let's start with Michigan State plus three and a half tomorrow against Ohio State. Iowa laying 11 at home against Northwestern. Tennessee plus five and a half against Kentucky. Oklahoma laying 20 and a half at home against Oklahoma State. Uh, Virginia Tech plus the three on the road at Pitt. And then Mississippi State plus 23 and a half. Arkansas plus 13 and a half. Washington, uh, Colorado, excuse me, against Washington State plus the six. And then on Sunday, Yes, it's Cleveland again plus the six, the Titans plus the seven, uh, six and a half, and the Cowboys plus the seven. Let me tell you about Farish Chrysler Dodge Jeep in Fairfax. If you are thinking about something new, I want you to consider Farish, especially if you're considering a Chrysler Dodge Jeep or Subaru. They've got a Subaru dealership uh, as well. Uh, Farish makes it easy for the customer. Kevin Farish, Ralph Perkins, they're smart. They know what their customers want. They make it easy for you to make a purchase. And then once you own a vehicle through Farish, their service department is first rate. You never wait. You're in and out. They take care of you. Their sales team, when you get out there, experienced. Most of their sales reps have have 20 years of experience uh, and you will be taken care of, especially if you get out there and you ask for Ralph. And if you do go out to Farish uh, at my request, say, I want to talk to Ralph Perkins. Kevin Sheehan asked me to ask for Ralph Perkins. Ralph's a great guy and he will put you in touch with the right salesperson. Now, when you get there, you will see plenty of inventory on their lot. Whatever you're looking for, you'll likely find it in the make, model, and color, and you'll be able to drive it off the lot. Lots of Jeeps, the Compass Sport, Compass Latitude, Jeep Renegades right now, great deals, but the Cherokees, Grand Cherokees, and Wranglers, you're not going to go wrong there either. It's a good time to buy those. If you're thinking Thinking about a minivan, the Chrysler Pacifica right now, Farish has some of the best deals of the year on the Chrysler Pacifica. Now, to find out everything you need to know immediately, go to FarishCars.com. It's an easy website to navigate. Ralph and Kevin, I mentioned this, they are smart. They make it easy. There are three big bars on their, their, their homepage at FarishCars.com. New inventory, used inventory, schedule service. You hit new inventory and all of the cars that they have on their lot with Live pricing pop up. You can scan through their entire lot online at Farish at FarishCars.com uh, before deciding to go out there. If you do go, if you do head out there, to, they're in Fairfax Circle, right there in the heart of Fairfax. Ask for Ralph when you get there. Tell him I sent you. But for right now, uh, just go to FarishCars.com and you'll get live inventory, live pricing. You'll be able to see it all. All right, let's bring in Andy Poland for his weekly Friday segment with me, which I always enjoy. Andy does a look back on the Redskins opponent, and then we finish up the show with sort of a Redskins-Buccaneers prediction, which you nailed it last week. Yes, I did. You nailed it. I mean, you said 31-10 Atlanta. You weren't too far off. 38-14 the final. All right, what do we got about pass matchups against the Bucs? Well, I took a look at three games at Tampa. So don't give me the you like that game because that was here. Yes, These I are, won't do that. I'm I'm listening paying attention this week. now. Yeah, well, there's a playoff win here uh, recently. Not recently, 13 years ago now. Yeah, it's quite a while ago. Here are the three that I picked and uh, actually didn't include that game. Uh, I know it was a playoff win, but I'm talking about memorable games. So f- number three is September 19th, 1982, where they played in that deluge at Tampa Stadium. Yeah, week two, week right, two. Before, right before the uh, strike, the lockout. Final score, strike. 21-13 Redskins over the Bucks. You say, oh, they scored three touchdowns. No, 
two field goals, two touchdowns, two missed extra points. And that was the season that Mark Mosley set the record with 23 straight field goals. Right. Missed two extra points. Won the MVP that year. That was week two after they opened up at Philadelphia with the 37-34 overtime win. And it was the game before Andy... I mean, you and I were at an age where we couldn't deal without the NFL on Sunday. And for seven weeks, I think it was. Nine nine weeks, no NFL on Sunday. But kids, the CFL, they played those games on television. They actually put a couple of Division III games on. Yeah, college games. Yeah, they were trying anything. Uh, John Riggins, 34 carries, 136 yards. And the term Riggo drill was coined by Joe Gibbs after the game. Uh, Gibbs was saying, hey, we ran the Rigo drill, and it worked. Now, they went up 9 nothing in the first quarter, touchdown pass to Charlie Brown, Mosley missed the extra point. Second quarter, Doug Williams throws a 62-yard bomb to Kevin House. They missed the extra point. Mosley kicks a field goal, 12-6, and this is the most, I think, memorable play from the game. Curtis Jordan blocked a punt and recovered it in the end zone. Of course, they missed the extra point. Uh, they, uh, there were six sacks in this game of Doug Williams, and uh, there were no turnovers by Joe Theismann. Theismann was known as a good mutter, and he played well in this game. Uh, Gibbs said after the game to the players, we're hot, let's not strike now. They were the hottest team in the league. Yeah, they, they were. Won five straight, and uh, it was their 10th win over the last Five straight going back to the end of the yeah, previous year, when they 81. Yep. Eight, eight and eight yep. after the 0-5 start. Uh, as it turned out, they went out for two months. The first game back was at the Giants, the home opener for the Redskins that year, November 28th against Philadelphia, Thanksgiving weekend. Number two, January 15th, 2000. This was then Raymond James yep. Stadium. Playoffs. This was the playoff game. Uh, Bucks win at 14-13. to Skins led 3-0 at the half. Brian Mitchell, in his last game as a Redskin, returned the second-half kickoff 100 yards. Conway kicked the field goals, 13-0. Skins are driving late in the third quarter. Brad Johnson overthrows John Lynch. Now, Johnson had had neck surgery the year before, and he was really hot at the beginning of the year. They had a game where they hung Started 50 Started to lose arm strength, though. Yeah, and that's what was that, – That pick turned the whole game around. Yeah, now, they were headed to, to, to L.A. to face the greatest show on turf yep. in the NFC Championship game with a 13 nothing lead on the road in the playoffs. And I've said this many times about B. Mitch, who you and I have, have worked with for years. Brian was a clutch performer in the Redskins' biggest – games whenever there was a big game at the end of the year or a postseason game he made memorable plays and that kickoff return to give him a 13 nothing lead should have been enough 10 nothing they added a field goal game. right 10 nothing yeah uh, you know who the quarterback was who brought tampa back yeah uh king sean king sean king yeah, yeah i was thinking that'd be somebody good no it was sean king uh they suddenly get hot after that mike allstott scores is 13-7 brad johnson is sacked by warren sapp fumbles the ball uh, then the uh, Bucks take over. King is sacked by Sean Barber, but the fumble is picked up by yeah. Warwick Dunn, who and runs it 13 yards. Yeah, for a first down. And then he throws a touchdown pass to John Davis. It's 14-13. Now, seven minutes and 29 seconds left. It's still a very winnable game. Yeah, let's get a field goal. For the Redskins. So they get the ball to the Bucks' 33-yard <laughs> line. Yeah, what minute, happened then, Andy? Minute 17 to go. They are setting up a 52-yard field goal, which is today makeable. Makeable. Uh, in those days, the punter, at least for the Redskins, didn't hold. The punter was actually Brad Johnson, and the snapper was Dan Turk, yeah. whose brother was the punter, Matt Turk. Yeah, yeah. Brad Johnson wasn't the punter. He was the holder. Yeah. The, yeah. I said the snapper, right? Or, yeah. yeah. Snapper was Dan Turk. The holder was Brad Johnson. Yeah. Anyway, uh, 
Turk rolls the ball back to Johnson. He throws up a desperation pass to try and get a score. Brett Conway, get, right? Uh, Conway was the kicker. Yep. Never, never got a chance never to get it chance. off. As the story goes, they lost the game 14-13. Turk did not get on the plane to go back home from Tampa, walked the streets of Tampa, somehow got home, then had cancer, yep. died like a year later, and was. Sad. And I was told that nobody from the Redskins organization ever contacted him after that night. That's what I was told. Bad. All right, number three. That was sad. It was sad. I remember him passing away and just uh, – and, and the story of him not getting on the flight to come back and – what you just said makes it even more sad that no one from the Redskins organization ever reached out to him at all. And for a while there in that offseason, Matt Turk was asking to be traded or released because he was not happy with the organization. I think he kicked for him another couple of years. And he was a good punter. Well, a long time. Third, number November 13th, 2005, Raymond James Stadium. Bucks oh, yeah, win the All-Star game. 36-35. Now, this is a back-and-forth game. Skins led 35-28, three and a half minutes to play. The Bucks are out of timeouts. You get a first down, you can kill the clock, right? Well, they couldn't do it. Chris Sims quarterbacking the – I mean, they played some really bad quarterbacks yeah. over the years against Tampa. But Chris Sims doing the quarterbacking, he threw a 30-yard touchdown pass to Edel Shepard with 58 seconds left to make it 35-34. You go, okay, I'm going to kick the extra point. We're going to go to overtime. Matt Bryant, who's still, by the way, kicking in the NFL. He was hurt last week for the Falcons, but he's still in the league. Uh, he came on to try the extra point. Matt to tie the Bryant. Game. Matt Bryant. Wow, he's yeah. still in the league. Yeah. That was 13 years ago. Well, I mean, kickers, but yeah, kickers well, last. Yeah. So he he was still doing the kicking. Anyway, uh, Walt Harris blocks the extra point, but the Redskins are off sides. Now yeah. this was the time when they were kicking the extra point from the two. Yeah, with half the distance to the goal line, it's now at the one. John Gruden says, "The heck with it. Let's go for two and try and win the game." Mike Allstott gets in, but there's reason to believe that his elbow hit before the goal line well that because it did yeah but <laughs> yeah that's but, why there was reason but there was to inconclusive it. video evidence yeah, no, there was conclusive they just didn't overturn it, well, it was, you, that was a terrible terrible loss you, you sound like whiny Joe it, was, it was a terrible <laughs> loss that really was that was that was one of those calls that was to me the head scratcher of all head scratchers because it was clear evidence of him being down before getting in and they 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 lost the game 36 35 with yep. the two-point conversion uh clinton portis 23 carries yeah, for a big day. 144 yards the redskins lost the next two at home i called that the fired coaches two-step norv norv turner with a bad oakland team they lost to them and then marty schottenheimer san diego with a pretty good uh, San Diego yeah, because well, uh, Ladanian Tomlinson yeah. had the walk off in overtime on yeah. a long run. They're, yeah. they're five and six. They didn't lose a regular season game the rest of the year. Got to the playoffs and actually beat Tampa uh, in the playoffs. They got revenge in the playoffs at Tampa in Gibbs's first playoff game back. You know, in his second season in, in version two zero of Gibbs, and that was the playoff game where Mark Brunell was 7 for 15 for 41 yards, yeah. and the Redskins had a whopping 120 yards of total offense, won the game 17 to 10. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's still the playoff game uh, where a team won the game with the fewest amount of offensive yards. Could be. I yeah. think, or at least it was at the time. Yeah. That may have been matched or exceeded uh, uh, since. And when you look back on Mark Brunell's numbers, 
Alex Smith now looks like Dan Marino compared to him. Well, you know, you talked about Brad Johnson losing arm strength as this, that 2000 season went along, which he did. So did Mark Brunel. Mark Brunel had some issues there at the end oh, of the yeah. year, injury-wise. And remember, he was losing wide receivers uh, towards the end of that year. You know, they were starting James Thrash and the the, the second rounder from Florida, whose name escapes me. Uh, um, Jacques Green? No, uh, I, I'll, I'll come up with it here in a, in a moment because I think he played the following week. Remember that they went to Seattle the following week and had a legit chance to win, uh, yeah. but Carlos Rogers dropped a would-be pick six for a ten nothing lead, and they ended up you know losing a close game. I'm going to remember. I'm going to yeah. find the uh, yeah. They had a the shot that name. year. That the year that the second time they lost to Seattle in the playoffs, they were really overmatched. That was Taylor the, Jacobs. Taylor Jacobs. Okay. Yeah, is who I was thinking of. Uh, yeah, that that. That didn't make your list, but we just put yeah. it on the list either. Yeah, but I, anyway. I would say those three that I just went through, they were very memorable yes, games. they were. Yeah. They, they, they've had some memorable games against the Buccaneers in general. Yeah. You know, I mean, the the comeback, you know, from 24 nothing down a few years ago, really, you know, with the Code Red game. Oh, that's the game that changed the course of Kirk Cousins' career. Yes. There, there's no question that they would have not re-signed him or not given him the franchise at the end of that year had they lost, don't yep. you think? He gets benched because that was that right before the bye week, too. So he probably gets yeah. benched if it was the that It game. was the bye week with the Patriots coming out yeah. on the other side of the Colt bye week. Colt McCoy. The Colt McCoy yeah. era might have begun. It could have been. Um, it could have been. Instead, <laughs> instead, he's got $84 million guaranteed in the bank after being paid $44 million. Uh, pretty good gig uh, for him. All right, let's finish up uh, with a little Redskins score and more. See if Andy can get it right two weeks in a row. Time to settle the score. It's score and more. All right. You had it right last week. Uh, let's see if you can go two for two here. Because I don't know if you, I forget what you had. We all, uh, I've been wrong now, I think three weeks in a row. Because I had the win last week, any a, 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 a close win. I had the tie the week before that. And I had Dallas winning a close game the week before that. Yeah, that's it. I did have him beating Carolina, however. Yeah. All right, uh, what do you got? I uh, I think this game hinges on whether or not Fitzpatrick throws interceptions. If he doesn't, I think they win the game, I don't want to say really easily, but I'm looking at like a 27-20 kind of game. If he turns the ball over three times, the Redskins may have a shot, but with their offense, whoever picks it off has got to score. I mean, it, they just don't score touchdowns, and that's fine if you've – Got a, the ability to run the ball, but I don't know whether you heard about this or not. All the linemen are hurt. They don't have any offensive Hasn't linemen. Hasn't been in, mentioned yeah. today. So I, I don't see them having a lot of success running the ball uh, without those linemen. I could be wrong. But uh, I, I just don't see a way that the Redskins win this game other than it's just well, a really okay. fit well, Which is it going to be? I, I say I say Fitzpatrick plays well enough to beat them 27-20. to 20. That's the way I see it. And 20 points is a gift because that includes two touchdowns, which the Redskins don't always score. Uh, I, I'd like I, – I wish we had some sense of whether or not they had professional offensive linemen that will suit yeah, up for the game. Well, they're professional, the, but they're – Well, yeah, but I mean Luke Bowanko, Jonathan Cooper – um, you know, these are – then you've got Jaron Christian, you know, the rookie. Uh, they they signed Austin Howard. I mean, these are names – I mean, I've heard of Jonathan Cooper before. He's a guy, you know, I've heard well, of before. Seventh, seventh overall pick. Yeah, this, so th – This is not week four of the season. This is week nine, meaning that other teams have had to pick through the stash of on-the-street free agent linemen. So they're kind of late in the season to be shopping at this store – 
and they're getting the guys that are still sitting there on the shelf. I will say this for the third time in this show. Alex Smith needs to step up Sunday and make some plays. He's got to play better. With whom? He's Andy, or the playmakers. I said this with Chris earlier, and I said it before he came on the air, that one of the things we thought we were getting as a fan base when they traded for Alex Smith was a quarterback that was great at creating something out of nothing. Yeah, well. So we haven't seen that. We saw it on a drive last week. It was like the first time we've seen, you know, that was the best drive of the year for him, I felt. The drive at 14 nothing to make it 14-7, where he nearly had his head taken off. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to give the Redskins a chance to win this game, and I'm going to just call it right now that they win the game 20-17. to I know it's crazy to think that they can hold the Buccaneers to 17, but you said, and you're right, and I believe this, that the Redskins have to be plus two or better in the turnover margin, but here's the thing. They probably will be. Mm-hmm. It's a very good chance. Yeah, he they throws picks. Be. He does. They throw picks. You know, Winston's thrown 10, Fitzpatrick's thrown seven, and there are lots of balls he puts up for grabs. I was watching... You know, him bring him back uh, against Carolina last week on the All-22. Watch the same thing in, in Cincinnati. He had a lot that could have been picked. Like, he puts up, he takes a lot of risks. And they should take risks with Jackson and Howard and Evans. Uh, I think the Redskins end up getting three turnovers. I think they turn them into points. I think the defense can play play well and better against Tampa than maybe against Atlanta. Atlanta really called a great game. They had them off balance. Steve Sarkeesian called a great game. Uh, and the truth is, is that, you know, and the numbers didn't reflect this going in, but I mentioned it last Friday, you still had to respect Atlanta's ability to run the football. Tampa's not going to run it. Now, you look at Tampa, one of the reasons they haven't run the ball is because in all of these games where they put up big numbers, or in a lot of them, they've gotten down early. They got down big against Cincinnati. They got down big against Carolina. You know, if you get them down on Sunday and you can somehow figure out a way to run the ball and shorten the game, that would be great. I know 20-17 to 17 seems like a really low score the for over this under matchup. The is 51. I know it is. Uh, and I think people potentially will play the over in this game. It seems like the pu- you can't get the public off overs this year. Well, it's a league, yeah. Three turnovers, a short game, 20-17. to 17. I don't know, maybe I'll go 23-20. That's what I went last week. But, God, the Redskins scoring 23 points. That's a lot of points for them. It's a I, lot of points for them. This is a historically bad defense on Tampa, though. I mean, this year in the NFL, like an average number of points is 24. And the Redskins well, are averaging, what, 17 look, a game? The, the 52 that the Steelers put up last night, how many 50-point games have there been in the league this year? Bet there's been six or seven. Right, there've been a hell of a lot of forty-point games. I can tell yeah. you that. Um, I, I think they can win this game. They, you're a hundred percent right. They have to have a plus in the turnover margin, and it can't be plus one. It can't be that they get one takeaway to win this game. It's got to be like they get four takeaways and maybe give it back once, or they get three and give it back none. You know, it's one of those more than a takeaway. They have to score when they get the takeaway. Yeah. They, they can't give the ball to Alex Smith to kick a field goal. What? They have to score a touchdown. I mentioned this that you know one of the things you if they if he turns it over, you'd like him to score, or you'd like a really short field. You don't want a bomb that gets picked off by DJ Swearinger as he's going out of bounds at his own eighteen yard line. Right, like you, you, this offense doesn't go eighty two yards. 
No. You know, so the, the Redskins are averaging 20 a game. I actually thought it was less than that. It did seem like less. Do they have they have one defensive touchdown, right? No special teams touchdowns. No. They've got the defensive touchdown on the Kerrigan strip. Well, no Preston's. one gets special teams touchdowns anymore. No, yeah. not that many. Well, you could have a punt return. You don't there there are almost no punt or kickoff returns mm. anymore. It's amazing. Huh. There are there are punt returns. There, there are punt returns. I, I, I think it's a they're on pace for a like NFL record lower at least. Like change some decades. of the rules. Yeah, like coverage exactly. And, yeah, I remember seeing that a couple weeks ago. That there were there's a big thing about how just return touchdowns in general have almost gone away. Punt return touchdowns this year. There, there is, there are two kickoff returns for touchdowns total in the league. All right, Cordell Patterson had that one uh, against the Bears, I think. And when they had two special teams touchdowns, and Miami has one. Three punt return touchdowns. And three punt returns. Yeah. You're right. I mean, just and do, do you remember old school a Cardinals game against the Redskins? Metcalf. Bet, uh, back-to-back touchdown returns. I think it was Mulkey and Metcalf. It was. It was yeah. Mulkey and Metcalf. Yeah. Unbelievable. Um, the, uh, and then you had some of those battles between Stump and Brian. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, even the averages, you don't have – I mean, Kansas City's obviously got, with Tyreek Hill, they've got the highest return average of 15.9. But, yeah, you've got you've got more than half the league at under 10 yards per punt return as an average. Actually, you've got more than half the league at under 8 yards per punt return average. That's interesting. Um, you don't really see it that much anymore. Uh, all right, I'll go. What did I, I'll change it. I'll go. I'll go a little bit higher scoring. Twenty three twenty Redskins. That was my pick last week. Might as well go with it again. I do think that if they lose this game, you know, obviously the season's not over. And Cooley pointed this out, and I think he's right. I think four and four in the second half of the season would get you into a position where you potentially could win the division at nine and seven. You could. I, I got to beat Philly though in one of them. Yeah, the next two weeks. Yes, you'd have to beat Philadelphia yep. in one of the two games. The next two weeks to me is you've got to have a split. You have to be six. And you've got to be six and four going into that Thanksgiving Day game against the Cowboys, who could be three and seven at that point. They yeah. go at Philly Sunday night at Atlanta. You know, if you're six and four there, you get to seven and four with that big Monday night game in Philadelphia the first week in December. Then it's like, all right, we have settled in for several December games that are going to matter. Well, this is all you ever ask for. <laughs> a meaningful <laughs> well, December. I, I know, a meaningful <laughs> December. Well, we haven't had a lot of them. You no. know, I don't know if you've noticed. Well, you used to have playoff scenarios back in October yeah, the for a meaningful December. <laughs> yeah, I know, for a meaningful December. Just give me a mean give me that Philadelphia game on a Monday night as a big Monday night game. Give me that. Oh yeah. Monday At night least. games against Philadelphia. They always <laughs> go well, don't they? Well, you know, Jason Campbell went in there on a Monday night a couple yeah. of well, Body bag bowl, the yeah. disaster uh, McNabb game. I know. Well, look, uh, this would be – in looking uh, – here's the one thing. I think I'm repeating myself, but I, I haven't said it to you. This is perhaps the last legitimately subpar defensive team they will face this year. Because after that, yeah. it's Houston, it's Philadelphia twice, it's Jacksonville, it's Tennessee, it's Dallas, who's not bad defensively. What a great combination. And An offense that can't score against really good defensive teams. <laughs> and, and, That's a great formula. And the Giants, who you know are talented 
defensively. So And find a way to they, beat them even when they're bad. If they can't score this week, if, yeah. and I, uh, of course everybody's out there saying, did you know about the injuries? Yeah, I know about the injuries. <laughs> I do. But it's it's uh, the last real matchup opportunity for the offense, I think. And and I say that, and actually where Tampa can hurt you a little bit is in the interior of their defensive line, and that's where the Redskins are, could potentially have Ruye and you know Cooper and Bowanko playing, yeah. <laughs> whoever that is. Yeah, yeah. All right, uh, thank you. Thank you. Thanks to Aaron. Thanks to Cooley who joined us today. Thanks to all of you. Thanks to Launch Workplaces. If you live in the Bethesda, Chevy Chase, Upper Northwest portion of uh, the area um, and you're looking for an office outside the home because right now you're working inside the home, try Launch Workplaces. It's a great place to get work done. Uh, you can go to launchworkplaces.com. You can call for a two-day trial, 240-800-6714, Beautiful new uh, office spaces, fully furnished offices, conference rooms, co-working desks, high-speed internet, complimentary drinks, a cafe, free parking, and 24-7 access. Uh, just get more work done outside the home. If the dog's barking while you're trying to be on a phone call or, you're, or the kids are, are getting in the way and you're looking for something in the Bethesda, Chevy Chase, Upper Northwest D.C. area, try launchworkplaces.com today, 240-800-6714. Uh, we'll have this show up very early on Monday once again uh, as – uh, a recap of the Bucks game. Big game for the Redskins on Sunday. Three-point dog. I would lean Redskins. I don't know why. I just feel like they're going to play well Sunday. And I'm hoping that we see a real step-up leadership game. This is one of the reasons they told you, right, Andy? They said, we need leadership. We don't have a leader. We don't have a guy that can step up in, the, in, in adverse times and get us out of this. This is one of the reasons... Yeah. You went to Alex Smith, and I know there are injuries, but there were more injuries and less talent and less ability last year when they went to Seattle. They need to win this He's got to do what Kirk Cousins did against Seattle last year to find a way to do it. Yep. And he's and you know what? The defense has to step up and play like they did in Seattle last year. And you know what? If Blair Walsh uh, is kicking for Tampa on Sunday and can miss three field goals, that would be helpful too. Well, that's a great game plan. Hope <laughs> Blair Walsh misses. He's not kicking for them, uh, unfortunately. All right, have a great weekend, everybody. Uh, one last thing. I didn't mention this. Yeah, go Terps. Beat Indiana. These players deserve bowl eligibility, bowl eligibility for what they've been through. It would be nice to see them beat uh, one of Andy's uh, schools and tuition bills that he paid for yeah, for well, four years. This is this is a game it's okay for Maryland to win. It's uh, Indiana basketball and Wisconsin football that we root <laughs> there for. There you go. All right. Uh, have a great weekend. Take care.